0: Section 86 of Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Piotr Natter. Stratagems and Conspiracies to Defraud Life Insurance Companies An Authentic Record of Remarkable Cases by John B. Lewis and Charles E. Bumble. Problematic Cases, Part 6 the Wackerle puzzle part three John Brutch was sworn and stated that he lived in St. Louis that he had known William Wackerle about thirty years that in eighteen fifty one Wackerle boarded with him in eighteen fifty four Wackerle went to Minnesota he recognized William Wackerle in the courtroom as the identical person he was certain of it in october eighteen seventy one Wackerle boarded with him a couple of weeks that was at the time he returned from the south Wackerle returned to St. Louis in April 1872 and boarded with him again a week or ten days. He then left to go to California. He saw him off. He had not seen him since till about a week ago. He knew John Wackerle, his brother. John had boarded with him more or less since 1851. In 1873, Mrs. Wackerle came to his house and asked if he could tell her anything about her husband, William Wackerle. He told her he did not know where he was, but that John Wackerle was there and was eating his dinner. At the interview between John and Mrs. Wackerle, the former got excited and told her to go off, that he wanted nothing to do with her, that he, Brudge, had not seen her since, until recently, that he knew Christian Wackerle, a brother of William and John. J. A. Sargent was sworn and stated that he lived in Carver, Minnesota, and had resided there since 1855 that in 1859 he was recorder of deeds he had subsequently been a judge of probate for fourteen years he knew william wackerle at carver in 1862 he enlisted in the war and was gone till 1864 when he returned at about that time he sold his farm and moved away william wackerle then before him was the identical person while wackerle was a resident of carver he bought wood of him and did most of his business for him Wackerle's first wife died about the year 1855, and he married again, and the plaintiff in this case is the woman who lived with Wackerle at Carver and Chaska as his wife. He knew John Wackerle, but not as well as he did William. It was his impression that the identical John Wackerle was before him, that Mrs. Wackerle was in Chaska in 1878, William Wackerle was also there, but he did not see them together. Mrs. Margaret Brudge, wife of the former witness, John Brudge, being sworn, gave testimony similar to that of her husband. She identified William Wackerle and his wife. At this point a number of depositions were read from persons who had known William Wackerle in Chaska, Feribald, and Carver, Minnesota, fully identifying the men produced with the William Wackerle they knew. A large number of depositions were presented by the defense and read in court, all having reference to the identification to william wackerleth j s randall of shreveport an undertaker was sworn and stated that on the twenty fifth of december eighteen seventy two he was called upon to bury a man who was killed on a railroad near shreveport that he buried the corpse the next day in the potter's field in a cheap coffin with a glass plate he was present at the disinterment of the body in september eighteen seventy seven he found but little left except the skeleton there was a little piece of wood that resembled the coffin and no glass at all was found william fletcher of shreveport was sworn and stated that he took up the body of a man said to have been killed on the railroad about five years before there were no exterior signs of a grave there he dug on the spot indicated by the sexton mrs wackerle was present and identified the remains by a broken tooth the grave was afterwards opened and the remains appeared in the same condition as before the leg bones were not broken dr james f ford of shreveport stated under oath that he was present at the opening of the grave in eighteen seventy seven that he examined the bones carefully and there was no sign of a broken leg the bones were well preserved and could not have been in the condition they were if a leg had been broken r l simmons of shreveport foreman of the coroner's jury that sat on the man killed on the twenty fifth of december eighteen seventy two on the railroad said it was satisfactorily shown that the man belonged to a gang of railroad men but his name could not at that time be ascertained there were no papers or name found on the body or anything by which he could be identified the first time he ever heard the name of wackerle was when he met mrs wackerle at the time she was getting up testimony of her husband's death the leg of the man the inquest was held on was severed just above the knee w h noland of shreveport testified that he was at the inquest before mentioned that no papers were found on the body he never heard the name of wackerle till he heard it from mrs John Hine testified that he had lived in Napa County, California, since 1860. Previous to that, he lived in Carver, Minnesota. He knew William Wackerle. then. On the 24th of June, 1878, he saw the same William Wackerle at San Francisco and talked over with him old family matters. He stated that he was as positive as he could be of anything that it was the same man. J. Nicholas Hine, a brother of the last witness, testified to the same state of facts. Philip Fabel testified that he had lived in St. Paul since 1856. He was acquainted with William Wackerle when he lived at Carver, Minnesota. He met him again in 1878. Mr. Wackerle came up to him and said, "'Don't you know me, Philip?' I said, "'No, I don't.' He said, "'Don't you remember selling me a dog at Carver for a bushel of corn?' I answered, "'Yes, I do. Your name is William Wackerle. Paul Faber, of St. Paul, testified that he knew William Wackerle before and after the war. He, Wackerle, was at his house about two years ago, and took his meals there occasionally for about a week. His wife, Mrs. Wackerle, came to him, Faber, to help her get testimony on her husband's death. She said she would give him five hundred dollars if he would help her. About a week later, Wackerle came in, and I exclaimed, "'Hello, Wackerle, I thought you were dead.' I am positive it was the same William Wackerley I had known at Carver. His wife came to my house later, and I told her to go out. I said to her, I know your husband, and I wonder how you dare to deny him. Mrs. Paul Faber, wife of the preceding witness, testified to the same state of facts. John Sandren, of Carver, Minnesota, testified that he was in the army with William Vakerle and in the same company with him, saw him in 1878, and talked with him about the campaign they had passed together. Wackerle was familiar with all things they knew together, and talked and answered correctly. He recognized him fully as William Wackerle. Depositions were read of Anthony Waldman, John Funk, Michael Hall, John Blosdell and wife, Mrs. Genevieve Bush, A. G. Anderson, W. A. G. Griffin, Levi Aitch griffin and Frederick Greiner, all of Carver, Minnesota. Margareta Ebinger, of Chaska, Senator C. D. Gilfillian of St. Paul's, S. C. Dunham, chief of police of Feribald, and Stephen Colk and wife of St. Paul, fully identifying Wackerle as the husband of the plaintiff. Joseph Weinman, being duly sworn, stated that he resided at Feribold, that he lived in Carver for eighteen years, and until 1874 that he was acquainted with William Wackerle, who was at that time living between Truska and Carver. He knew his wife also knew them both till eighteen sixty two he recruited a company and august second of that year william wackerle enlisted he wackerle served in his company till they came back from rolla missouri and on account of sickness was discharged he wackerle sold his farm and moved away from carver he did not learn anything of his whereabouts until the year eighteen seventy three when he got a letter from him saying he had taken a claim in california and wanted him to attend to it he answered the letter and the letter being produced in court was identified by mr Weinmann. it is dated september nineteenth eighteen seventy three he received another letter from wackerle dated january twenty second eighteen seventy three that letter he produced in court it was written in german and mr c e sust deputy u s marshal read it in court as an interpreter it proved to be mostly about the family affairs of the writer he said he got insured in the Etna for $3,000, and in the Mutual for $4,000, that he did it because his wife forced him, and he wanted peace, that if he hadn't left her, his life would have been ended long ago, that he heard she had been married again, and wanted to learn something about it, that when he went away, he left all his property he had got for his place, and all he had earned. Mr. Weinman stated further that he did not answer this letter, that he took up a New York Weekly Mail one day, and, looking over the items, saw that Mrs. Wackerle had brought suit against an insurance company for the insurance upon the life of her husband. He wrote the editor that he would like to be put in correspondence with the company interested. In about two weeks, a representative of the Aetna came to Faribault to learn what he knew about the case. He gave him information as to the Wackerle's whereabouts. The letter was shown to the Aetna representative, and upon being compared, the signature of the letter and of the application for insurance were found to be identical that he and the etna representative visited california and found mr wackerle there upon cross-examination mr Weinman stated that when he first became acquainted with the case mrs wackerle had obtained a judgment against the etna that he did not know where christopher wackerle was he had not heard from him for years that he knew william wackerle as well as he knew any man except his Weinmann's brother that wackerle did not learn from him about his domestic affairs that william wackerle and john wackerle his brother were the parties whom they represented themselves to be and william was the husband of the plaintiff john wackerle testified that he was a brother of william who was then present he knew walburga wackerle the plaintiff he saw her in st louis nine or ten years ago it was at john brutch's salon in carondelet she wanted to know where his brother william was he said he did not know where he was he went south somewhere perhaps to texas the next spring william went to california he thought did not remember exactly he next saw william in st paul in eighteen seventy eight he did not see him again until he came here on cross-examination he stated that he did not tell mrs Vacherle that her husband was dead that he never heard his brother was in marshall texas working on a farm that he never received a letter from his brother christian that he did not know where christian was that he john was never at Shreveport. william wackerlet being duly sworn stated that he resided in california that he went there in the year eighteen sixty nine from the country back of detroit that he worked on I street in sacramento making wine that he was married in minnesota to walburga wackerle and he guessed she knew him then he lived there till eighteen sixty five his wife lived with him then that when he sold his farm she took every cent of money he got for it and all he had earned that he had had so much trouble with this woman he should always remember her he sold his farm to george gruber and partner that he moved to milwaukee while there he took out a policy in the Etna, first for two thousand dollars and it was afterwards made $3,000. His wife left Milwaukee before he did, and took everything to Detroit. He was also insured in a New York company for $4,000. Both were for his wife's benefit. He did not stay long in Detroit. His wife quarreled with him. He returned to Milwaukee. His wife wrote him requesting him to live with her again, and he did. While in Detroit, he earned money to go to California. While at Sacramento, he through an advertisement, learned that a woman wanted to meet him. He met his wife at Schimminger's. They took a house there and lived together a while. She desired to go east, and together they went back to Quincy, Illinois, while in Sacramento a child died and was buried there. His wife desired to take the child with them east, and she had some trouble with the railroad company about taking it. They arrived in Quincy in 1870, while there he chopped wood for a man by the name of Ben Franklin. They lived together in Quincy until the year 1871. In the fall of that year he went to New Orleans. In the spring of 1872 he came back and boarded about two weeks with John Brutch of St. Louis, and from there went to California by the overland route. At Sacramento he met his brother Christopher. He next went to Eureka, California, in eighteen seventy three, and from there to Hydesville, and resided there till eighteen seventy eight, where at the request of the Etna Company, he returned to Minnesota. During the time from eighteen seventy three to eighteen seventy eight, he wrote letters to Joseph Weinman of Ferrybold. His letters were presented and identified. During the war mister Weinman was first lieutenant of his company. In eighteen eighty he went to Los Angeles, California to live, and now resides there. After leaving his wife at Quincy, he next saw her in the fall of 1878 at Chaska, Minnesota, and she pretended not to recognize him. It was at Greiner's house. He asked her if she did not know him, and she would not answer. She said she would have nothing to do with him, and the courts must decide. After leaving her at Quincy, Illinois, he never wrote to her. He left her because he could not live with her in peace, he wanted some peace in his old age. Upon cross-examination he said that when he met his wife at Mr. Griner's, she said we were all swindlers. Mr. Griner said, "'Who is a greater swindler than you? You want to collect the insurance money, and your husband is not dead.' That the child's body was carried by the express company, the railroad company refusing to take it. He would have preferred to have the child buried in California, that his wife made all the arrangements as to the preserving and shipping the corpse. That the coffin used was a plain one, such as poor people generally get. They arrived in Quincy before the coffin did. The outer box was not opened to his knowledge. It was buried, so far as he knew, in the same condition that it arrived. There were eight children born at his last marriage. They all died young, except the girl at Sacramento, who was seven or eight years old when she died. The first child was born on the farm in Minnesota. Its name was George William. It was buried on a lot he bought of Greiner. The second child was born at New Orleans and died there. He did not remember its name. She called it William. He did not remember whether the third child was a boy or girl, how long it lived, nor when it died. He did not remember where the fourth child was born or whether it was a boy or girl. He made the same statements respecting the fifth, sixth and seventh child, and he did not remember their names. The last child was a boy. It was living when he left Quincy. She called it George. He stated that his wife had a book in which all the names of the children were written down. Some of the names were written by himself. He further stated that he was never in Indianapolis with his wife, that he went from New Orleans to Cincinnati with her, and that he worked in the latter place one season. He had never been there since." End of section 86.